morning, welcome. My name is Gary, I'm an alcoholic. An alcoholic who has recovered from alcoholism through God's grace and power through the 12 steps and the love and support of fellowship. This is an open meeting of AA. It's followed at 8 p.m. by the McKinley closed meeting of AA in this building. Uh, that uh, The Zoom numbers you can find on aaferndale.org or Detroit House of Recovery Facebook page. There's flyers there to show that. Uh, we, um, this is a um, uh, place where you can find other 12-step meetings also besides AA meetings. Look at their website, you can find out about those. We open a meeting with the third step prayer on page six, oh, 63 and we're going to end with Dr. Bob's story, but if someone would read the third step prayer on page 63 for us, please, to open the meeting. God, I offer myself to thee. Go with me to do with me as I will. Relieve me, me of bonds to self. May my duty your will, thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them bear witness to those that may help. Thy power, thy love, thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Okay, thank you. Uh, a couple of housekeeping items real quick. The restroom's right here at the other side of the room. Also through that door at the back wall. Uh, coffee and hand sanitizers on the other side in that room. Uh, smoking, please go all the way outside the building if you need to smoke. Uh, get up anytime, but be respectful of those around you and also be careful of the equipment on the other side here. Please come around this way uh, to go through to the other side. Uh, pads, markers, and pens, you can take them with you if you like, just bring them back the following week. Uh, out of the seventh tradition, we've got a basket on the table here. Also, you can go to peakrecovery.com and click the donate button, that's P-E-A-K-E, recovery.com for the seventh tradition. Cell phones, please put them on quiet, uh, take them off vibrate and ring. If you've got a phone call you really need to get, have it in front of you where you can see it if it lights up, but please uh, keep it silent to uh, not disturb anyone in the meeting. Okay, let's see what our grapevine has for us tonight. A couple of short ones. Um, this is how many alcoholics? How many alcoholics does it take to change a light bulb? It doesn't really matter. The power got shut off last week. And this is called Can't Get Pastor. A minister drives by a tavern as Bob and Larry are sneaking a beer. Bob says, you know, I hope the Reverend didn't see us. Larry says, who cares? God's the only one who counts. Bob says, yeah, but God won't tell my wife. <laughs> okay, uh, tonight uh, our, our plan is to cover up and open up the first step summary. The summaries that are on page 58 and 59, of course, are not the steps themselves, or 59 and 60, I guess it is, but those are a summary of the steps. But let's take a look at the summary because it'll give us some hints about this powerless and unmanageable. What do they mean? And what are we talking about in the first step? Also, we're going to talk, talk real quick about the condition of being recovered. How is it used and what does it mean? And then we'll continue on our walk on the first step. But first of all, powerless over alcohol. The first step summary says, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol that our lives had become unmanageable. Admit means a verbalization. I, I verbalize, I admit that I'm, I'm powerless over alcohol, my life is unmanageable. It's a little, little more than just saying I'm an alcoholic. Um, that's kind of our identifier, how we hook into each other, but in order to take the first step, we need to understand that. Admit we're powerless and that our life would become unmanageable. Now powerless, we're gonna see uh, in our first uh, look at the step one in our book, it's going to talk about the physical condition. It's an allergy. The doctor calls it an allergy. But it basically comes down to this. The body of an alcoholic cannot digest alcohol like a, uh, anyone else, a non-alcoholic. An alcoholic has an allergy. It creates what the book calls a craving. It's actually, it's been proven by medicine and science it's a digestion problem. We have um, a, an, a, an enzyme called acetaldehyde and acetate, which creates the craving. Our body holds it, a non-alcoholic's body passes it off, digests, or indigestion passes it through the system. So that's what the powerless is. Once we take a drink, we physically can't stop. 
the second part of this says, and our, of the summary says, and our lives have become unmanageable. Now what does unmanageable mean? Well, we can look at it, you know, if, if we ask people what does unmanageable mean, usually they're going to talk about, well, I can't hold a job, I'm getting divorced, I'm uh, having all kinds of car accidents, getting drunk driving tickets, I can't manage life. Well, that's, you could say that's an unmanageable life, but that's really not what we're talking about in the first step. Unmanageable means in our lives we cannot overcome that obsession, that alcoholic insanity, to take the first drink. Uh, we talked about it last week, I think it was, with the doctor's opinion when he talked about men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. And I mentioned for myself personally that my effect was it put me into life. It took me from a, a shy, stupid, dumb, afraid kid to what I saw as a man. That was the effect. Unmanageable means I could not live at that point when I bought into the idea that alcohol fixed me, made me something, I could not manage my life without alcohol because I was something other than I wanted to be. That was the unmanageable part. I could not stay away from the first drink. It really has little to do with the outside stuff. The problem with looking at all that outside stuff is not everyone loses jobs from drinking. Not everyone gets divorced from drinking. Not everyone goes into bankruptcy. Not, you know, we can go down the list. Things in life that look unmanageable outside of us, not everyone has the same conditions. But there's two conditions we do have, every alcoholic has, once they admit. They're powerless, allergy, physical craving, and they cannot manage life. That mental insanity, alcoholic insanity that says, you got a drink or you're not you. Basically, that's what it, what it means. We've got a couple examples in our book. We're going to look at these later, but for right now, to, to get the clearer picture of this unmanageable that they're talking about here, let's look over at a couple of stories in our book. First, let's go to page 35. We're going to look at a couple of examples and more about alcoholism. One is a guy, man, first a friend they call Jim. The next one is going to be Fred, and we're going to see if we look at their lives as they describe it, they're certainly not unmanageable. And on page 35, in the middle of the page, our first example is a friend we shall call Jim. Now this is a real person. The name was changed to protect the innocent, I guess. <laughs> but this was a real person, Ralph F. He got sober in June of 1938 in New York, and he had a story in the first edition, another prodigal story. But anyway. Let's see what it says here about Jim. This man has a charming wife and family. See if these things sound like an unmanageable life in the context of what too many people talk about in the fellowship of AA. Charming wife and family. Inherited a lucrative automobile agency. Had a commendable war record. He's a good salesman. Everyone likes him. He's an intelligent man. Normal so far as we can see, except for a nervous disposition. Yet he was an alcoholic. If you looked at his life, everything looks great, right, on the outside. But inside, as he found out, he had that alcoholic insanity. His life was unmanageable unless he could drink. He didn't feel like he was him. And he had that powerless condition, that allergy. Now let's look over on page 39. We're going to look at Fred just real quick here to see another example. And, and Fred is going to drive it home a little bit clearer. Fred is a partner in a well-known accounting firm. Now let's see if these conditions here, he's going to list seven different conditions in his life, see if these look like an unmanageable life it's in the context of what too many people look at, outside things. His income is good. He has a fine home, is happily married, the father of promising children of college age. He has so attractive a personality that he makes friends with everyone. If ever there was a successful businessman, it is Fred. The next thing, to all appearances, he is a stable, well-balanced individual. Yet he is alcoholic. So if you look at both of these, Ralph and this one actually is Harry Brick. Harry got sober in June 1938 in New York also. He had a story in the first edition, A Different Slant. And we're going to talk about a little bit just to drive this home a little further, clearer. And it's important for us to see this and understand what the step is really saying to us. 
his story was a different slant, and this is his comment about what, what, he, what he saw as the different slant. This is a quote on what he said. Even a man with everything money can buy, a man with tremendous pride and willpower to function in all ordinary circumstances, could become an alcoholic and find himself as hopeless and helpless as the man who has a multitude of worries and troubles. Okay. So the point the book seems to be making is, and we will see this when we get into the chapter two agnostic, the very first page, we looked at it when we said, what is an alcoholic? Those seven questions, what is an alcoholic? It's not the outside stuff. I can't gauge myself as an alcoholic just because my life outside and around me is wrecked. That can happen certainly by drinking alcoholically, right? Doesn't always happen that way. But the difference that we have, the common bond that we have that binds us together and is Clear as mud, <laughs> it is clear, right? Can I stop drinking anytime I want to? That's the unmanageable, that alcoholic insanity. Can I stop anytime I want to? Or when drinking, can I control how much I drink? That's the powerless. If, if I don't have those conditions, I'm not alcoholic. Maybe I'm just a hard drinker. So the point of all that is we're talking about not the conditions around us in our life, the conditions inside us. That's what alcoholism is. And that's what we want to look at now. The condition of being recovered. How is it used and what does it mean? It's unfortunate that so many people in the fellowship look at this, just the word recovered, you can get all kinds of people arguing and fighting and you know and I've I'll say personally on what I've experienced, right? I'm a recovered alcoholic. I've had people don't say, well, you might think you're recovered, but I'm recovering. They usually don't say it that way. They'll say, you can't be recovered. You can't be recovered. It's impossible. They told me you can never be recovered. They want to argue with me about my condition, which the book brought to me, and the power of my God that brought to me. I like what a friend of mine says. You're entitled to your own opinion, but not your own facts. The facts in the book in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is that we can become recovered. And they don't take very long. We've looked at it, but you don't have to flip over, but I'm just gonna hit a couple of uh, real quick things. The book tells us this real quick. The second title page, how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. And then we go to the forward to the first edition. So one of the first things they wrote in the book. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Now we're gonna look at one more spot, but we're gonna focus on what, why is it used? What does the word recovered, what is it referring to in our book, Alcoholics Anonymous? It's referring to the same condition, and we're gonna see it in one more place one more uh, word. If you want to flip, you can. Uh, page 133 in the middle. And then we'll, we'll summarize this and we'll move on with step one. But three different ways the book describes a problem, the drinking problem, alcoholism, hopeless state of mind and body. Right in the middle of the page, just one little sentence. We who have recovered from serious drinking our miracles of mental health. Well, I don't know about miracles of mental health. That's, <laughs> but certainly, it says we who have recovered from serious drinking. Now the book uses the word recovered nearly a dozen and a half times, except in one place uh, in the doctor's opinion near the end, when it talks about Hank P, it says he but had partially recovered from a gastric hemorrhage. That's the only places that use the word outside of alcoholism, hopeless condition of mind and body, serious drinking. That's what we're recovering from. Not our sick human nature, selfishness, and all the things that go with that. We're going to get into that. We're going to see in step three, we're going to move away from alcohol and into the real problem, our spiritually sick human nature. But we're just talking about here and in what do we become recovered from Serious drinking, hopeless 
condition of mind and body. Alcoholism, they're all the same thing. Just one last word on that. I, I remember you know, someone saying at a table years ago, anything I talk about is alcoholism. That's how, <laughs> that's how crazy things get in the fellowship. You know. That's not the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Saying I can't become recovered is not the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Saying alcoholism is anything other than alcoholism's hopeless condition of mind and body, recovered from serious drinking, it's not the book Alcoholics Anonymous, our program. So when people talk like that, they're, they're uh, maybe unintentionally, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, they're contradicting our program. They're saying something the book doesn't say. They're saying something that's not, not really of, uh, pictured in the book. It's their personal opinion or something they've heard that they've carried around. All right, let's, let's start to take a look now again at step one in our book. Let's go over to, in the doctor's opinion, Roman numeral 26, XXVI in the fourth edition. If you have the third edition, it'll be Roman numeral 14. Right at the bottom, near the bottom of the page, I just want to read something here and draw, we're also going to draw a comparison. The doctor uh, had written these opinions, and this is what the commentary in the book says uh, leading into a second letter. Read at the bottom of the page of 16, Roman rule 16. Though we work out our solution on the spiritual as well as an altruistic plane, altruistic is defined this way, regard for and devotion to the interests of others. That's altruistic. That's what we have. That's a consistent theme throughout our program. Thought and interest in others, their welfare, their well-being. The book will use those words. That's what we are, our program suggests and asks that we live, an altruistic life. The opposite of that is again something that's uh, talked about in a fellowship that has no place in the program and book, Alcoholics Anonymous. We've all heard it. If it ruffles your feathers, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how many times I've heard people say it's a selfish program. If I say that, I'm keeping myself sick. I'm speaking the wrong thing into my life. Nowhere does the book say it's a selfish program. In fact, it tells us to work against selfishness. That selfishness is the root of my trouble. And I know people that use that word, they use all kinds of gyrations to try to explain it, what they mean. What, what they're explaining is their opinion, their thought. Selfish, unlike most words in the English language, selfish has one definition. Look it up. It's got one definition. Here's what it says. When I read this definition, you tell me if you want to live in a selfish program. Concerned excessively or exclusively with oneself. Seeking or concentrating on one's own advantage, pleasure, or well-being without regard for others. That's not the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous is not a selfish program. It's an unselfish program. Okay. I was going to say I'll get off the soapbox, but I can't leave this. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but it's just important to understand, right? What is the book saying? Um, all right, let's go go back to page um, for step one in the doctor's opinion, page twenty-eight, Roman numeral twenty-eight, XXVIII. That'd be twenty-six in the third edition. And if someone would read two paragraphs for us, beginning with, we believe it's so suggested. We believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy, and that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and become, and become astonishingly difficult to solve. 
One more. Okay. Frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. The message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. In nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in the power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. Okay, thank you. So, the beginning of this paragraph, we believe it's so suggested a few years ago. Now, this, this is something that uh, Dr. Silkworth was uh, putting forth. And maybe a handful of other medical doctors, most of them uh, didn't buy into this, uh, his opinion. It was, from what I've seen, it was first printed in the Lancet Journal, the medical journal in 1937. This idea that the action of alcohol in these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy. And we talked about that physical allergy. This is part of this, the first step. That the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class. Once an alcoholic begins to put alcohol into their body, at some point, and we don't know when it is, whether it's one drink, three drinks, five drinks, it doesn't matter, um, the allergy begins. And then we cannot stop on our own power. It never occurs in the average temperate drinker. Whether they're a social drinker, moderate drinker, hard drinker, they don't have that allergy. They don't have that mental obsession, alcoholic insanity that we have. Down a little bit further, their reliance upon human things, their problems pile up in them. We know in our book makes it pretty clear throughout, human power, human knowledge, human ability can't fix alcoholism. Well, let me, let me rephrase it this way, the way the book kind of uses words. Probably doesn't have the ability to fix alcoholism. A lot of people try it. They're going to use their knowledge, discipline, willpower to try to overcome their drinking alcoholically. The book says reliance upon human things, human power, isn't going to fix it. Down in that next paragraph, frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. I'm sure, uh, I'll speak for myself, I had a lot of frothy emotional appeal in my life. Family members, friends, girlfriends, they had a lot of frothy emotional appeal, right? Usually it was, and they meant well, they just didn't understand, right? You gotta quit drinking. You're causing too many problems. You'll never amount to anything. You gotta get away from that. They meant well. They didn't understand what, what I was dealing with. They did the best they could to try to bring it to my attention. The message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people, these chronic alcoholics, must have depth and weight. That's our book. This message has depth and weight. And the reason it has depth and weight is because it comes from another alcoholic. <laughs> Naturally, we're not sitting with these cats back in 1939, who, who, the authors and contributors of the book. But I, personally, I think if we were, it'd be no different than right now. Dealing with the same kind of problems, the same kind of situations, the same looking for this power to help and, and solve alcoholism. That hasn't changed. We might dress a little different, drive around in different vehicles, the houses look a little, but inside, we're all the same. Have been from the time of beginning recorded history. We looked at it in the first week. Depth and weight. When one alcoholic talks with another, there's something that happens. The message gets through. Different than someone else, a doctor even, or a family member, or even when they, the family members or loved ones, they, they pour out their heart trying to help us, trying to get us to see. But the depth and weight comes from another alcoholic talking with the next suffering alcoholic. In nearly all cases, and then right at the end of this, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their life. So up in the top it said, reliance upon human things, doesn't seem to fix the problem. But a power greater than myself, and we're going to get into that in a second step, that can solve the problem. It has for, what is it, 1935 to 285 years? And it will continue to solve the problem. If they are to recreate their lives, it's important maybe to just take a look at that, recreate their lives. This is really, it seems to me, 
the key to this whole thing. Not stopping drinking and not drinking is only the start. Our book will say that. Elimination of drinking is but a beginning. We need to get this power greater than ourselves to recreate our lives, to put us on a different foundation. That's what 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 Bill talked about Abby when Abby had come to him when he had brought the Oxford Group word of mouth message to Bill that became our program. His roots grasp a new soil, a recreated life. Right? That's what we can experience with the program. Let's flip the page over now to XXX, Roman numeral 30. If someone will read that first paragraph, please, there are many. There are many situations which arise out of the phenomenon of craving, which cause men to make their a supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. Okay, so many situations that arise out of the phenomenon of craving. This is talking about these outside things. Right? We, we looked at that, no matter how great the necessity or the wish, our book talks about that. Necessity are these things outside of us. This is where they come into play. Those are the things that beat us it seems to the point where we finally give up that we finally say i gotta do something's gotta change i gotta find something different but what happens with these outside situations cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight could that be suicide supreme sacrifice let's look at the next two paragraphs if someone would start reading at the classification classification of alcoholics seems most difficult and in much detail is outside the scope of this book. There are of course the psychopaths who are emotionally unstable. We are all familiar with this type. They are always going on the wagon for keeps. They are over remorseful and make many resolutions but never a decision. There is a type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand or his environment. There's the type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. There's the manic depressive type who is perhaps the least understood by his friends and about whom a whole chapter could be written. Then there are types entirely normal in every respect except for the effect alcohol has upon them. They're often able, intelligent, friendly people. Okay, thank you. So this is the doctor in his years of work before Alcoholics Anonymous, um, Bill recovered in his hospital, and then he started working with us um, with this solution. He's talking about all the various kinds of people he ran into, right? The type of unwilling to admit he cannot drink. He plans various ways of drinking, changes his brand or environment. Then there's the type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can drink without danger. That might be okay for a hard drinker, but for an alcoholic, not gonna work. We can never do that. Then there's a manic depressive type, who is perhaps the least misunderstood. And then of course there's all of us, right? The types entirely normal in every respect, excepting the effect alcohol has upon them. They're often able, intelligent, friendly people. <laughs> so what, what brings all these together? Let's look at the next paragraph and we'll see. Someone read that, please. All these and many others have one sit in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as distinct entities. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar, permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Okay, so thank you. And of course, we know for an alcoholic, entire absence of abstinence is absolutely necessary. But we can achieve that with the program and the power that comes to us. So now we're gonna bring all these different people, and there's, there's lots of other things we could talk about, outside conditions, life conditions, of alcoholic drinkers that in effect separate them, but we can all come together with one common bond. All these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. 
And again, that's the, you know, I, I keep mentioning, but it's really important. Um, there's only two things. We can't stop drinking, and once we drink, we can't stop. That's what the doctor is talking about here. This allergy phenomenon of craving develops. We cannot start drinking without developing that craving. It's not something we can read. You know, I, I kid around with a, a friend and I kid around quite a bit, right? Yeah, if we have one, two, three drinks, when we feel the allergy, we stop. Don't drink anymore. <laughs> it's impossible for an alcoholic. The doctor is going to tell us, right? Once an alcoholic is dry or off the drink for a while, whatever the case might be, once they start, something changes both in the bodily and the mental sense. Right? It's not just the allergy. When a person returns to drinking after they've been dry for a while, the mind changes too. Right? I've never had to um, relapse, go out drinking again since I was sent to Alcoholics Anonymous, so I can't tell you what that thing is. I've talked with guys I've sponsored though that have, right? And they, they usually say about the same thing. The mental, once they start, says, I can handle it. I'm going to be okay. You know? Often what I heard was, you know, I had a couple of drinks at a party, didn't have any problem. A few days later, I had a couple more, seemed okay. Then I went to a party and got drunk. Right? Well, I straightened out the next day, but then I started drinking again that next week and I was off to the races. The mind changes. Then we get enough alcohol in that the allergy takes control of us and we cannot stop. So it's not just the allergy, but right now we're looking at the physical part here. Before Alcoholics Anonymous, down at the, just on that page, on the very bottom, among, much has been written pro and con, but among physicians, the general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. That's what we were until Alcoholics Anonymous came together. Doomed. They could, we looked, talked about some of the ways that they tried to treat us. Mentally, physically. They never, it seems, looking at all those, they never got to the spiritual, which Alcoholics Anonymous, that's what the focus is. The spiritual awakening, spiritual experience is power greater than ourselves. If we get that, we're, we can be good to go. But if we don't get that, we're not going to be able to make it. Let's go over to page four now. We'll get into Bill's story and look at some more of these first step conditions. On page four, if someone would start reading that, that paragraph abruptly in October, to the end of that paragraph, please. Abruptly in October 1929, hell broke loose on the New York Stock Exchange. After one of those days of inferno, I wobbled from a hotel bar to a roguish office. It was 8 o'clock, five hours after the market closed. The ticker still clattered. I was staring at an inch of the tape which bore the inscription XYZ-32. It has been 52 that morning. I was finished and so were many friends. The papers reported me and jumping to death from the towers of high finance. That disgusted me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. My friends had dropped several million since 10 o'clock. So what? Tomorrow was another day. As I drank, the old fierce determination to win come back. Thank you. So this is, Bill's talking about his condition on the stock market, uh, where he was at when the crash happened. And what's his solution? The last sentence, as I drank, the old fierce determination to win came back. Drinking was the solution for him. That's what, it, personally, that's what it was for me through my drinking career. Drinking was a solution. That effect, no matter what was going on, until I took a drink, I didn't feel right. But no matter what was happening around me, outside of me, whatever the pressure might have been, until I drank, and I saw that as a solution because it, that the doctor's opinion, we didn't read all the way to it, but it talked about it. Restless, irritable, and discontent. That's the kind of feeling I had. I was out, out of balance in life until I took a drink. Then everything else went away. Let's look at that next paragraph, please. Next morning, read it. Yes, please. Next morning, I telephoned a friend in Montreal. He had 
plenty of money left and thought I had better to go Canadian, well, no, Canada. By the following spring, we were living in our custom style. I felt like Napoleon returning from Elba, no St. Helena for me, but drinking caught up with me again and my generous friend had to let me go. This time we stayed broke. Okay, thank you. So Bill hooked up with a friend of his in Canada who had, had a, he wasn't affected by the crash as much. He had something going on. Bill started working there. Things were going pretty well. He says, I felt like Napoleon running, returning from Elba, no St. Helena for me. And Napoleon, he was, he was, um, he abdicated his throne. He was exiled to Elba and he escaped. He, he finally decided, you know what, I'm going to go back and take control of the country again. He escaped from Elba and he went back and he gathered up some followers and he actually was pretty successful for a period of time. But then the British caught him and sent him to, exiled him to St. Helena and was really imprisoned on St. Helena. That's where he died. So Bill's saying, right, I felt like Napoleon returning from Elba. I got it now, right? I'm good to go. No St. Helena for me. They're not going to, I'm not going to be exiled and, and shut away. I got it figured out now. Let's look at the next paragraph. We went to live with my wife's parents. We went to live with my wife's parents. I found a job, then lost it as the result of a brawl with a taxi driver. Mercifully, no one could guess that I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw a sober breath. My wife begins to work in a department store coming home exhausted to find me drunk. About top of the next page. I become an unwelcome hanger on at brokish places. Okay, so Bill's, as, as we each saw in our lives, if we're alcoholic, life begins to, often it can degrade, right? We, we, we fall out of peace. Down at the middle of the page, then I got a promising opportunity. Someone read the two paragraphs there. <clears throat> And I got a promising business opportunity. Stocks at a low point in 1932. And I had somehow formed a group to buy. I was to share generously in the profits. Then I went on a prodigious vendor, and then chance vanished. I woke up, this had to be stopped. I saw I could not take so much as one drink. I was though forever. Before then, I had written lots of sweet promises. But my wife happily observed that this time I meant business, and so I did. And then he says, shortly afterward I came home drunk. There had been no fight. Where had been my high resolve? I simply didn't know. So Bill's, he's getting back on his feet again, right? He's got an opportunity. He sees work, he sees profits, money. He thinks he can get his life back together again. But he had the alcoholic insanity. Shortly afterward I came home drunk. No fight. Where was my high resolve? I, he couldn't beat it. Let's go over to page seven. Page seven, my brother-in-law, if someone would read two paragraphs there, please. My brother-in-law is a physician and thought his kindness and that of my mother. I was placed in a naturally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. Under the so-called belladonna treatment, my brain cleared. <clears throat> Hydrotherapy and my mild exercise helped much, but best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish, I have been seriously ill bodily and mentally. Hey, let's stop there just for one minute. Okay, so he goes to the nationally known hospital, that was Tom's Hospital and his brother-in-law was paying for it. Towns Hospital was a, a, well, in effect, a rich man's drying out place. I mean, there were people from around the world that were going there. So he learned that he had been seriously ill, bodily and mentally. So Dr. Soapworth is giving him his opinion. You've got this allergy, Bill. You're bodily ill. You're also mentally ill. But the bodily, you cannot stop drinking once you start drinking. So Dr. Soapworth is laying it out to him, first time Bill had ever heard it. And he's, he's buying into it, understanding it. And so let's see what happens with him. The next paragraph, please. Um, 
because I'm doing it right. Yes. I, I, it relieved me? Oh, it relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is immensely weakened when it comes to com combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. My incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. Understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. For three or four months, the goose hung high. I went to town regularly and even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. Okay, thank you. So it relieved me so much. So Bill's thinking about what the doctor is telling him, and he's, he's somewhat understanding it and buying into it. Right? He says, it relieved me somewhat to learn that an alcoholic's will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. And we, we saw that with when we looked at Fred and Jim. Amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor. But in every other respect, they, can ha they could handle life in their particular cases. So Bill's thinking, all right, surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. I know now. I know how, what to watch out for. I can be careful. The next paragraph says, but it was not. The frightful day came when I drank once more. That alcoholic, that obsession, and the, the obsession, alcoholic insanity, is thought of as a thought which overcomes all other thoughts. Maybe I can overcome other situations in life, but when it comes to alcohol, I got to have that effect. I'm not alive unless I'm drinking. Right at the bottom of the page, would someone start reading that paragraph, please? They did not. You do not need to tell me. I knew and almost welcome the idea of this devastating blow to my pride. I would thought so well of myself and my abilities and my capacity to surmount obstacles. was cornered at last. Now I was to plunge into the dark, joining that endless procession of sots who had gone on before. I thought of my poor wife. There had been much happiness after all. What would I not give to make amends? But that was over now. No, that, that hang on right there. So on the page before, what Bill was talking about, they told him, you know, you're going to get physically sick, maybe die, we're going to put you in asylum. And Bill says, they did not need to tell me. I knew and almost welcomed the idea. Maybe he thought that would be some relief from what he was battling, this thing that was going on in his life with drinking. No words, and back to the book on page 8, no words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitty, bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. So he knows he can't beat it, at least at this point in his life. He's looking at saying, I know what they're telling me. Bill, you're going to get sick and die. We're going to put you in asylum. You're done. He understands it. But he still can't stop, as we're going to see in the next paragraph. Would someone read the next paragraph, please? Charlie, Charlie I stepped from the hospital a broken man. Fear over me for a bit. Then came the insanity of first drink. And on Amherst's Day, 1934, I was off again. Everyone became resigned to the certainty that I would have to be shut up somewhere or would stumble along to make a, a miserable end. Hard dark it is before <coughs> the dawn. In reality, that was the beginning of my last debauch. I was soon to be captured or catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. Okay, thank you. So this is before Bill's last trip to the hospital. Trembling, I stepped from the hospital a broken man. So he knew. I'm a broken man. I'm hopeless. Then came the insidious insanity of that first drink. And just a quick note, insidious insanity of that first drink. That's insanity in the context of the book Alcoholics Anonymous. It's got nothing to do with any other mental condition. 
except that obsession to drink. Unmanageable life unless I drink. The insanity is taking the first drink. That's it. Clear and simple. Our book keeps it simple. A lot of people in a fellowship like to complicate it, right? They got all kinds of they got, they, we use some definitions in a fellowship that aren't even in a dictionary, right? I, I heard in treatment, right? Doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. It's not in the book. It's not in the program. Doing what over and over again, expecting different results? It's very simple in our book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Insanity is taking the first drink. So Bill's, he talks about what happens now. He's gonna, we're gonna get in, we're gonna come back to Ebby here. This is the point where he, he ends up in the hospital for the last time, at, at least as a suffering alcoholic. He goes back there quite a bit afterwards, helping other people. But his last trip to the hospital as a suffering alcoholic is when Ebby comes to him, and also uh, one of the people we looked at um, in the first week, Shep Cornell, he was a member of the Oxford group. He was also visited Bill in the hospital. Um, we don't. It's not in the book, we don't really talk about it, but they were doing that, okay? So, Bill says, in reality, that was the beginning of my last debauch. I was soon to be catapulted, back to the book here, I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. We're gonna talk about that a little later. Uh, it's gonna come up again, this fourth dimension of existence. But, real quick, there's three known dimensions that contain everything in the known physical world. Height, width, depth. Those are the three dimensions. Bill's talking about a fourth dimension of existence. It seems the way the book talks about it, we're talking about the spiritual dimension. That's the fourth dimension, the spirit. Bill says, further in the book, I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness and a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. That's this new life that we're trying to get to, that we can get to, with the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and the spirit power that will come into our life if we just open up, take the steps and open up to that power. We're gonna come back to this with Abby approaching Bill in the hospital and what happens, but for now, let's go over to page 20 to continue with step one. Page 20, at the bottom of the page, we're gonna look at some of the different drinkers that the book talks about. If someone would start reading at moderate drinkers, moderate. and read over on the next page. Moderate drinkers have a little trouble in giving up liquor entirely. They, if they have good reason for it, they can take it or leave it alone. Then we have a certain type of hard drinker. He may have the habit badly enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally. It may cause him to die a few years before his time if it's a sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, change of environment, or the warning of a doctor become operative. This man can also stop or moderate, although he may find it difficult and troublesome and may even need medical attention. Next paragraph, please. One more. But what about the real alcoholics? He may start off as a moderate drinker. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker, but at the same stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. Okay, thank you. So over on the, the page 20 at the bottom where we started, moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving up liquor entirely if they have good reason for it. They can take it or leave it alone. Maybe we call that a social drinker, moderate drinker, right? Then we have a certain type of hard drinker. And it talks about some of the things that will affect him. He might have physical and mental problems, ill health, falling in love, I'm sorry, uh, cause him to die a few years before his time. But if something happens in his life, some striking event that gets his attention or her attention, they can stop. And I have, I, I, I like to use the example in my personal life of one of my brothers. Um, he was in the Marines, and when he got back from the Marines, he got out after four years. Uh, he and I would run around drinking with my brother-in-law, who was my, my mentor, my drinking mentor. <laughs> he was my hero. 
But um, my brother, if you looked at us in a bar or at a party or wherever we were, people would point at us and say, them guys are drunks, look at them guys. There was really no difference in our actions. But something happened. And I, I won't take time to explain all of what happened, but he had a, a drastic turn in life. And he said, Gary, that's it. I'm not drinking no more. Well, I didn't like that because I wasn't a drinking buddy. <laughs> but, you know, he said, that's it. I ain't drinking no more. And he's been that way for, I'm going to say, 40 years. He didn't quit drinking entirely. Been to parties at his home. He might, he'll have one, maybe two drinks, and he quits. Maybe when he's cutting the grass, he'll have one with a neighbor or something. I've never seen him drunk. We've never, I drank for some years after that. Never saw him drunk after that. He was a hard drinker. He wasn't an alcoholic. He could see life without drinking. And he didn't have the allergy. He just had a thirst that he liked to go out and party, right? <laughs> But what about, back to the book, what about the real alcoholic? He may start off as a moderate drinker, he may or may not become a continuous hard drinker, but at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. So the book isn't going to tell us, this is how you start to become an alcoholic. You drink a little bit, then you drink a little bit more, then you become an alcoholic. For some people, at some stage of his drinking career, maybe it's right away they become alcoholic. We don't know. It doesn't really matter. The important part is, once a person becomes an alcoholic, they need to know there's a solution, as we have found out. There's a solution in Alcoholics Anonymous. And this again is talking about the allergy, the physical allergy. Lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. The allergy takes over, the mind is gone, we just pour it in. Until, um, personally, I'm, it would be the the bar closed, I passed out, car smashed, get whatever it might have been. I drank until something happened. I just drank. That's what we do as alcoholics. Let's flip the page over to 22. In the middle of the page, this is by no means, if someone would read the three paragraphs there. This is by no means a comprehensive picture of the true alcoholic and our behavior patterns vary. But this description should identify him identify him roughly. Why does he behave like this? If hundreds of experience have shown him that one drink means another debacle, with all its attendant suffering and humiliation, why is it he takes that one drink? Why can't he stay on the water wagon? What has become the common sense and willpower that he still sometimes displays with respect to other matters? Perhaps there never will be a full answer to these questions. Opinions vary considerably as to why the alcoholic reacts different from normal people. We're not sure why. Once a certain point is reached, little can be done for him. We cannot answer the riddle. Okay, thank you. This is by no means a comprehensive picture of the true alcoholic as our behavior patterns vary. This is talking about outside stuff, behavior patterns. They vary. Not everybody, you know, I, um, I, I sponsored a man years ago. I don't, I don't think he was ever in a bar. He would, um, he would go home. He said he would go home from work, have a martini, have dinner, have another martini, maybe two, and that was it. Then he went to bed, went to work the next day. But he said, Gary, all day long at work, all I can think about is getting that martini. And I couldn't go a day without getting home and grabbing that martini. And after dinner, I'd have one, maybe two more. He went through the steps, the martinis disappeared. His thoughts weren't consumed by drinking all day long. But behavior patterns. The outside stuff isn't the gauge. There are a lot of things that happen when we drink alcoholically outside problems, but that's not the gauge. Perhaps there never would be a full answer to these questions. Why do we drink, right? We, we, the doctor's opinion is we like the effect produced by alcohol. I've mentioned a couple times the effect I felt. You've got your effect. 
whatever it may have been. But right at the bottom of that last paragraph we read, we're not sure why. Once a certain point was reached, little can be done for him. We cannot answer the riddle. Well, it seems they've answered the riddle on the allergy. We digest alcohol differently than a non-alcoholic. That's what creates that craving. But the mental part, maybe that's what they're talking about, can't answer the riddle. Why don't, can't they stay in the wagon? Right? Why can't they just stop? Why do they go back to it? The mind, they haven't figured that one out yet. Don't know if they ever will, but they seem to know what the physical allergy is. Let's look at this last paragraph now. We know. We know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men. We're equally positive that once he takes any alcohol, whatever, into his system, something happens, both in the bodily and mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. The experience of any alcoholic will honestly confirm Okay, thank you. Okay, so this, this, at this point, we're going to finish the allergy part, right, and we're going to move into the mental part of the disease. And that's what we're starting to do right here. But let's look at this. We know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like <coughs> other men. So we're not, you know, people talk about alcoholics, and they'll say, they're normal, you know, normal, I don't want to be normal. I, the book doesn't say that. Stays away from drink for months or years, he reacts much like other men. We're human beings. We're not oddballs. Alcoholics don't, alcoholics don't have three arms or one eye or, you know, we're people, human beings. And if we stay off the drink, we, we react much like other men. We're going to get into that when we look at the third step in detail. Our book is going to talk about it, right, this human nature. But at this point, the important part for us to see is that next sentence. We are equally positive that once he takes any alcohol, whatever, into his system, something happens both in a bodily and mental sense. We just talked about that a little bit. Once any one drink is taken, the alcoholic talks himself into, hey, maybe I'm okay. Maybe I can handle it. I, you know, I, I think I got it under control now. I just had one and I, that's all I had. Maybe I'm good now. We know what happens to an alcoholic who gets on that pattern. But something changes in the body and mental, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. And we've seen it over and over, and, and we still see it. People who come and dry out for a little bit, they start to think, and I, and I, I did when I first got here, right? personally, when I first got to Alcoholics Anonymous from my first meeting, I looked at a bunch of, listened to a bunch of losers and crybabies. I thought, I got one year. I'm going to get this taken care of, get that straightened out, get that off my back. I'm going back out and live. That lasted for several months until my sponsor, thankfully, got a hold of me and started to point me to the book and show me the truth instead of my deluded thinking, thinking I could handle it. It's going to be different. I'll be better. It's them. That's the problem. But once I take any alcohol in, it's virtually impossible, both in a bodily and mental sense, for an alcoholic to stop. And we're going to stop now. The book is going to move from the physical allergy to talking about the alcoholic insanity mental obsession. We'll pick it up there next week on page 23. If someone would read the last two paragraphs on Dr. Bob's story on page 181, Beginning with, if you think you are an atheist, agnostic. Somebody got that, please? If you think you are an atheist or agnostic, a skeptic, or have any other form of intellectual pride, which keeps you from accepting what is in this book, I feel sorry for you. If you still think you are strong enough to beat the game alone, that is your affair. But if you really and truly want to quit drinking liquor for good and all, and sincerely feel that you must have some help, we know that we have an answer for you. It never fails. If you go about it with one half the zeal, you have been in the habit of showing when you were getting another drink. Our, your Heavenly Father will never let you down. Okay, thank you. I just want to mention the, the email. If you have any questions, concerns, constructive criticism, I, I love talking about the book and program. So if you want to kick things around, 
The email is a walkthroughourbigbook at gmail.com. All lowercase. Um, that's it for today. Look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Gary.